Malachi's was the last prophetic voice the people of God heard in the Old Testament as a prelude to 400 years of divine silence. He delivered blistering messages about the sins of the saints and called them to return to God in a way that makes the Lord's name great among the nations. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. The God of the Bible places high expectations upon those he entrusts with his name and reputation. Is your life and testimony making great the Lord's name? I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. Have you ever felt like God doesn't love you? If so, you're not alone. Hello, I'm Brian Davis, and this is Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Today, Ron takes us to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, and the last words God spoke to his people for more than 400 years. What were his final words? What did God say to a nation that had grown apathetic and corrupt and had begun questioning God's love for them? Find out next as Ron continues his teaching series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Stay with us here or drop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast at Spotify, at Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, Malachi, making great the Lord's name. Well, last words are important words, aren't they? And last words can linger in our hearts for a period of time, especially when those last words might come from a friend or from a, a loved one. Sometimes the last words we hear from a loved one uh, might come in the form of uh, that document, that legal document we call a last will and testament. You hope that those aren't the last words you hear, but, but that's a way for people to convey their last words and their last wishes. Well, during the long time between the Old and New Testaments of the Bible, the people of God heard no word from heaven. What they heard was divine silence. The last message they heard came from a prophet named Malachi. And it wasn't for another 400 years that God's people heard another word from God. This time it came uh, from a baptizer who appeared as one crying in the wilderness. And John broke that divine silence and served as Messiah's messenger. John chapter 1 and verse 29, uh, John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John said that as he was pointing his own disciples to Jesus Messiah. Jesus the Christ. And John the Baptist's arrival 400 years later fulfilled a prophecy uh, given by Malachi and a prophecy, the same prophecy that was given you know, centuries earlier by, um, by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40 about the Lord's messenger and Messiah's messenger. Malachi's words lingered in the heart of the Jews for four centuries 
And his emphasis that we're going to find in his book is to make great the Lord's name. If there was nothing else the Jewish people would remember for all these four centuries, and they had no idea this was the last word. But if there's anything that they would learn, it would be this, chapter 1 and verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And if there's nothing else that we remember from our study of the Old Testament, let's remember this. Let's make great the Lord's name. He is a great and an awesome God. And we've learned that through all of our study uh, of the Old Testament. Now Malachi gets right to the point, and he avoids uh, taking any time to introduce himself or to connect his ministry to uh, uh, kings or rulers at that time. So for that reason, we know little about this minor prophet. However, there, there's some internal evidence in the book that helps us pinpoint the time around 435 B.C. He's toward the end of uh, the, the, the run of the prophets. And we can also create, create kind of a, a vague uh, personal profile of Malachi. For instance, his name means messenger of Yahweh. It's interesting that he talks about the messenger of Messiah, but, but he was a messenger as well. And uh, Jewish tradition says that he was a member of the great synagogue. We've run into this with several other prophets, including Zechariah, which was uh, a contemporary of Malachi. Uh, these were those who helped preserve the Holy Scriptures down through the ages. That's a, that's a wonderful study in and of itself to give us confidence in the Bible we even have in our hands today. It was uh, overseen by the Holy Spirit and carefully preserved uh, through the scribes and uh, those like, like uh, Malachi and others who were in charge of that. Um, Malachi also uses a very unique method. I think he's the only prophet that does this, kind of a question and answer method where Yahweh engages in disputes with the Jewish community. This Jewish community that had returned from the Babylonian captivity, uh, a small remnant of them, less than 50,000 of them, and, and they, they had not been living up to their expectations, let's just say that. And the Lord gets into a dispute with them about how uh, they doubted God's love, if you can imagine that. They dishonored his name. Uh, they, they broke his covenant. They questioned his justice. And, and then that section of scripture in chapter 3 of Malachi, which Malachi might be best known for, uh, they robbed God's tithe. Remember, Malachi and Haggai and Zechariah are all contemporaries. They're post-exilic prophets. They came after the captivity. And they're kind of addressing the same group of people, the same problem. Uh, Haggai went after them about their misplaced financial priorities. Uh, while they were building their beautiful houses in the hills and, and doing all that, they left the Lord's um, house in ruins for 16 years. Well, uh, Zechariah comes at it in his own way, and, and now Malachi, Malachi is going to you know, shoot a direct shot at them as well regarding their financial priorities. And then at the end, Malachi looks ahead prophetically, and he encourages this remnant to remember the Lord's plan. 
through all the good times and all of the bad times. So let's kind of take that general outline and work our way through the book of Malachi, beginning in chapter 1 and uh, verses 1 to 5. Uh, Judah's situation had deteriorated. Uh, the exiles were not living up to uh, the godly expectations that were before them. And, and, and they began to doubt God's love, if you can imagine that. And, and yet, in another sense, can you blame them for how they felt? Their most recent experience was the Babylonian exile, plus their current weakness and poverty under Persian domination was enough to make them believe that maybe uh, the God of the Bible had disbanded and, and forgotten them and deserted them. However, God reassures them of his love for Israel. And he does it in kind of a strange way. He goes back to a kind of a stunning reference to Isaac's twins. You remember the twins born to uh, Isaac that he fathered? Jacob and Esau. And the Lord says in chapter 1 and verse 2, in response to, you know, how they doubted his love, yet Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau have I hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Wow, strong language there. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. Now, we could say this is, this is hyperbole, and it is. It's exaggeration to make the point of how a sovereign God chose the descendants of Isaac through Jacob, the covenant was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Ishmael, and not Esau. Now that has implications to all the conflict in the Middle East today, all right? And we don't have time to go there, but just, just understand, uh, this is a pretty strong statement. Paul picks up this statement in Malachi, and in his argument in Romans 9, 10, and 11 about the sovereignty of God and how he chose and loves Israel, he, he uses this, Jacob have I loved, I have chosen Jacob, Esau have I hated. And we learned from the prophet Obadiah, something that the remnant might have forgotten, what Obadiah, Obadiah the prophet said about Edom's doom. Remember the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. And Obadiah prophesied the doom of the Edomites by 70 AD, they were gone, gone. But the line of Jacob continues. The Lord was using this to say, hey, I, I, I haven't forgotten you. I love you. Uh, maybe you have some difficult circumstances that you're facing right now and you're doubting God's love or you're, you're just not uh, sure whether he uh, has you on his radar anymore. Remember this, uh, there's one truth in the Bible that is more established than any other and that is God's love for us. John 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world, and that includes you and me personally. And uh, the Bible says God is love, and, 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 and even throughout the, the Old Testament, we learn this. Don't go away. We're only about halfway through today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Today's teaching is part of Ron's series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Look for it online at somethinggoodradio.org. Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. All scripture is profitable for teaching and reproof. But let's face it, God gave us a lot of scripture. 
66 books and more than 600,000 words, and it can sometimes be a little overwhelming to read. That's why I wrote my new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, to help you navigate your way through the highways and byways of God's Word and see how it all fits together so brilliantly, how every path, every passage, and every page points to Jesus, who is the Christ. The book comes in two volumes. Volume one covers the 39 books of the Old Testament, while volume two takes you through each of the 27 New Testament books. Both are now available to order, and I'd love to send them to you today. Here's Brian with details. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1 and 2, can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of something good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 digital library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, there are so many good books published every year. Why should someone buy The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible? And who did you have in mind when you wrote these literary travel guides through the Old and New Testaments? You know, Brian, your questions make me think of the words of wise Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 12. Of the making of many books, he writes, there is no end. And oh, how true that is. For what it's worth, as a Bible teaching pastor for more than 30 years, the ultimate road trip through the Bible is my way of helping people understand the overall story of Scripture and how all 66 books of the Bible fit together into a unified work of the Holy Spirit. I wrote with all kinds of people in mind, starting with the serious Bible student, even those who teach the Bible. I'm thinking of pastors, Sunday school teachers, and small group Bible study leaders who might use these two volumes in their preparation. But I also wrote for the person who is just getting acquainted with the Bible, which we all know is the best-selling book of all time. Brian, you can read The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible from beginning to end like any other book, or place it in your Bible study toolbox. I know that if you're a lifelong learner of God's Word as I am, you will return to the ultimate road trip through the Bible repeatedly. As companions to your personal Bible study, these books will always help you see the big picture before you dive into the details of any book of the Bible. That's why I'll be ordering my own copy, Pastor Ron. We're so glad you decided to share this important book with us. And you can get your copy today by going to somethinggoodradio.org. Both volumes of this great resource are yours as our way of saying thanks when you make a gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. Well, the Israelites had been home from their Babylonian captivity for more than 100 years. The temple was now rebuilt, but the people had grown apathetic and corrupt. Even the priests were dishonoring God with their half-hearted sacrifices. With the rest of today's Something Good radio message, Malachi, making great the Lord's name, here's Dr. Ron Jones. But they doubted God's love. The Lord disputed that. 
defended himself. Next, they dishonored his name. Now, God loves Israel and he loves us, but he expects his people to honor his name. And beginning in verse 6 of chapter 1, all the way through chapter 2 and verse 9, uh, the Lord you know, takes them to task, uh, especially the leaders, the priests, the religious leaders. The worshipers in post-exilic Jerusalem did, did the opposite of honoring the Lord's name. They dishonored his name. And the Lord says as much in verse 6, uh, by starting the dispute this way, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. He holds the leaders, the religious leaders responsible here. Well, you read in this section of scripture and learn that instead of them giving their best to the Lord, the corrupt priests offered diseased and disfigured animals for sacrifice at the temple. And then they had the audacity to complain about the poor quality of the worship there. Can you imagine that? Can you picture in your mind a sacrificial lamb named Lucky with a patch over his eye and a little hitch in his get-along? Uh, this was the sort of uh, second-class offering that they brought to the Lord. And the priests were saying, yeah, that's okay, that's okay. No, the Lord, the Lord would make his name great. He responds in verse 8, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show favor, says the Lord of hosts. Don't bring me your leftovers. Bring me your best. Reminds me of a time, a story I heard about a lady who was getting ready to prepare a Thanksgiving dinner for her family, and she went to her freezer, and she noticed a turkey at the bottom of the freezer. She pulls it off and brushes off some of the frost and looks at the date. She couldn't believe it. She was shocked. This turkey had been at the bottom of her freezer for 50 years. <laughs> but she's wondering, can I thaw this baby, cook it up, and serve it to my family? She was a little bit hesitant to do that, so she called the hotline number. And um, the hotline operator on the other end had never received an inquiry like this. So she put the lady on hold and you know, came back a few minutes later and said, listen, I, I talked to my supervisor and a few other people and we're all in agreement. It's okay to thaw the bird, cook it up, as long as you prepare it uh, according to the instructions on the label. However, we cannot guarantee the taste. And that's when the lady thought for a moment and said, yeah, it's kind of what I thought. Uh, I'll just donate the turkey to my church. <laughs> really? Now you know why I'm not a big fan of church potluck dinners. You never know what's in the pea salad, I've learned. You, know, you, just, you just never know. You never know. The Lord had no pleasure in their worship. In fact, you read in this section, he threatened to shut down the temple altogether. He just said, don't bring me that stuff. Bring me your best or don't bring anything. Why? For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. It was also during this time that the priests, the religious leaders, started moving toward a, uh, a kind of a ritualistic worship and, and did that more than a, a real, authentic you know, worship experience. And... Historians and scholars say that this is the beginning of, of Judaism, all right? It's really wrong to talk about Judaism before the intertestamental period between Old and New Testament. But the, the, the legalistic, ritualistic Judaism that Jesus went after 
and went after the Pharisees in the first century, began here, just prior to the end of the prophet's time, and then gained steam throughout uh, the next four centuries to where when Jesus arrived, now, now you know why he went after the Pharisees the way he did. They had so corrupted the priesthood and moved away from something that was real and authentic and worshipful to something that was ritualistic and legalistic and burdened people with rules and regulations. It began here. They doubted God's love. They dishonored his name. They also broke his covenant. The third dispute the Lord had with the Jewish remnant under Malachi's ministry was in direct relation to the covenant they made with God. Remember, it started with Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, even King David. And, and the covenant relationship they had with God also had implications uh, with the uh, human relationships they had with one another. And what was happening here in uh, chapter 2, verses 10 through 16, is a description of how those who had returned from Jerusalem, from the captivity, they began to marry people who worshipped foreign gods. I mean, come on, this was part of the problem from the beginning. It was strictly forbidden under the Mosaic law for them to marry, you know, pagans who worshipped Baal and all the foreign deities. Even the New Testament instructs us not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You do know that, don't you? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to marry another believer. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. I've known people who have tried to shortcut that, and they just, they just ended up in a really, really bad situation. It's not because we're under the Mosaic law, but, but Paul just says, don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever in marriage, in business, whatever it might be. More so, uh, Malachi goes on to we'll talk about their divorces and how divorce had become as common as a wildflower in the Negev. And because the Lord created marriage as a covenant, not, not a civil contract that you can easily weasel your way out of, well, he expressed strong words toward those who had divorced and associated their actions with violence. The New American Standard translation of the Bible renders chapter 2 and verse 16 this way. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of armies. So be careful about your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Now, everything that the Bible has to say about divorce and remarriage is not contained in this single verse. But make no mistake about it, God, God hates divorce because he takes his covenants very seriously. Um, they also question God's justice. The fourth dispute begins in chapter 2 and verse 17. Uh, you have wearied the Lord with your words, it says. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? And they were looking around and, and they lacked moral clarity. They called evil good and good evil. It's one of the most beautiful promises in God's word. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessing without measure. 
Thanks so much for being here for today's Something Good radio message, Malachi, making great the Lord's name. Now here's Ron with a preview of tomorrow's message. They complain that it is vain to serve the Lord. It's worthless. It's of no benefit to us. Can you imagine such a complaint coming from God's people? And Malachi, uh, the Lord says to Malachi, have them create a book of remembrance. They had no idea this was going to be the last word they heard for the next four centuries. But the Lord was going to have them write some things down. A book of remembrance. Exactly what was this book of remembrance? Find out tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones shares part two of his message, Malachi, making great the Lord's name. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.